Do you know what the voice you should be listening to sounds like? You gotta know. If we're gonna do this well, if we're gonna counter the temptation of the enemy, if we're gonna live in the spirit and not in the flesh well, you gotta know what God's voice sounds like. So how do you do that? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. They know my voice. They know my voice. Do you spend time getting to know the voice of God? Do you spend time in his word? Do you know it well enough that when the enemy who knows his word better than you do uses it as an attack against you, you can counter it and say, no, 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 no. I don't command the voice. I don't command God. God commands me. We are in week two of our sermon series called In Christ, where we're exploring what does a life in Christ look like? And we're going to cover everything you've ever wanted to know in four weeks. <laughs> no, we're giving you some, some, some thoughts, some helpful information, some inspiration, hopefully, to drive you into the word of God, to drive you into the presence of God, so you can learn and wrestle and figure out what this life in Christ looks like. Today, we get to talk about the flesh versus the spirit. This ancient battle. Like, I wish we had like the let's get ready to rumble music queued up, you know. In this corner, God. In this corner, someone God created. Doesn't sound like much of a battle when you set it up that way, does it? It's like, hmm, is this really as hard as we're making it? I posit to you that it's not. So let's, uh, let's, let's get into some scripture today, and we're going to see what we can learn. So we're going to spend the, the first chunk of the sermon today in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. If you're old school and you have a paper Bible, um, I'm going to yak here for just a little bit, and that's a perfect time for you to find those two chapters. I'm just going to give you a little hint. It's on the left-hand side of your Bible. Um, if you're like, if you have your Bible halfway open, you have gone too far. You got you to gotta go back. So the flesh versus the spirit. We're going to look at Genesis 2 and 3, and we're going to look at them a little bit differently than you might be used to looking at them. Now, I want to give a couple caveats. What I'm going to say this morning is not meant to invalidate your understanding of these two chapters of the Bible, not in any way, shape, or form. I know this is sacred space. It's an important part of scripture for us, and, and we know it, and we love it, and it really informs how we live. What I want to do is just take a deeper look and see what else we might be able to learn. Scripture, the Bible, it's, it's a lot like a diamond. Have you ever, uh, I got to meet a, a couple this morning who, were, who have been engaged for three weeks. Um, so excited for them. Wedding date is out in, in July. Um, but if you've ever seen a newly engaged woman, especially in church where you have all these lights, right? They're just like staring at this gorgeous sparkly ice skating rink on their finger, like, oh my gosh, look at that. And then they, and then like, you, they move their hand a little bit and it sparkles in different ways and they're like, this is so cool. You know, it's, it's this amazing, beautiful thing. That's what scripture is like. It's a diamond. We can look at it through one facet and go, wow, 
That's beautiful. That's incredible. And then you spin it just a little bit and the light hits it differently. And it reflects this entire new set of beauties back to us. And we can learn and expand our understanding of what it is that God might be saying to us. So that's all we're doing this morning. We're just turning the diamond a little bit. Are you with me? Right up. So we're in this story in Genesis, Genesis chapter two. And it's kind of a story about trees. And it's kind of a story about a garden. And it's kind of a story about some rivers. And they, they have names that we remember, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Oh, those are big deals, right? Um, and then the story gets rudely interrupted by the author. And he starts talking about trying to find somebody to help Adam. And you almost like, if you're reading, you can almost hear the record scratch. Like, what is going on? Why does this story just stop right in the middle of a perfectly good narrative that had a nice flow, had a nice thesis, we've introduced some characters, and then it just, just stops. And we start talking about a help meet, if you read some of the old school versions of the Bible. Well, let's just, let's just get into it and we'll just read. We're gonna start in chapter 15. It says this, the Lord God took the man, this would be Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden. Okay, so we got a garden, got it. To work it and to take care of it. Yeah, I'm gonna do some manly stuff, pull some weeds, except not, because this is pre-fall. <laughs> to work and take care of what? Anyway, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And we all know, oh, he's gonna mess this up. The women in the room knew he was gonna mess this up before you even knew the rest of the story. <laughs> but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is, so, 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 okay, so we've got this story about a garden, and now we've got some trees, and we've got Adam is supposed to take care of the garden, but there's this one real special tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that one. Okay, got it. So garden trees... The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, what? What a bizarre narrative shift here. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Watch what happens. This is bizarre. When we read these passages of scripture, we often just read them and we know them and, and we have some familiarity with them. We've seen them in a flannel graph back when we were little kids. Can my 90s kids lift up their hand and give me a shout? Um, and so the lullaby effect takes place where we just read it and we're like, yeah, yep, got it. Okay, let's, let's see if we can remove the lullaby effect and read all of this as if for the first time. And you're like, this story's weird. It's weird. Let's keep going. Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So my mind goes one place. If we're looking for a life partner, for, for man, my mind goes woman right away. Easy, easy as pie. Here's what God does. And now God is God, so there has to be a reason that he does all of this, right? Otherwise, the story is just nonsense and weird. Okay, so let's keep going. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, now it's like we have this whole other story. Trees, garden, rivers, um, gotta find a helper. Now we gotta name the animals. Like, what is going on? This story is so schizophrenic. It's so strange. It's like it has ADHD, which is a battle I know 
well. And you're about to just get a front row seat to this as I preach, um, but that's okay. I'm gonna go ride bikes later. Um, <laughs> he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, okay, okay. tracking a little bit. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Okay, God's like, Adam, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna love this. So I want somebody to be a life partner for you. Oh, it's gonna be amazing. You're gonna have this companionship, this joy, this connectedness together. Um, you're gonna like, sometimes it'll be like a mind meld. You'll be thinking something and, and, and your, par- your partner's gonna be like finishing your sentences and it, it's gonna be so cool. Adam, I present to you the aardvark. Because <laughs> I'm gonna assume God went in alphabetical order, right? And Adam, could you imagine being this awkward moment for Adam? God's all excited. <laughs> Look at that. And Adam's like, Uh, God, I am not vibing with this, this aardvark. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but when I think life partner, God's like, no problem, anteater. I don't know that that's the actual next animal in alphabetical order, but just help me out. <clears throat> and Adam's like, hard no. Uh, look at its nose. What even, what even is that? God's like, no problem. No, hey, I get it. I get it. Armadillo. Okay, so why would this not be a one and done experience? God brings out one animal and Adam's like, okay, um, God, I love you. Um, this is really hard to say. Um, this exercise is stupid. Um, none, of these, none of these animals are someone or something that I can connect with on a fundamental level. What, what are you doing? And it's almost as if God had an idea because he keeps going. He goes through all the animals, all the way to zebra. And Adam's like, God, (laughs) this has been a long day. You can tell because I started with aardvark and then we ended up at like fly. Um, I'm tired, I don't wanna do this anymore, and none of these animals are are a suitable helper for me. And you can almost hear in the story God go, yes, correct. And I'm telling a, a deep story here that I want you to catch. Adam, there is something fundamentally true about you that is not fundamentally true about any animal. There's a critical difference. Now, don't get weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something more innate, something deeper, something in our function, something in our design. There's something fundamentally true about you, Adam, that is just not fundamentally true about any animal that I've created. God goes, I got an idea. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed uh, up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, 
yup, 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 whatever she is, that's, yup, that's awesome. I am, yup, we are connecting, this is great, sparks flew, emotions ran high, um, she actually talked to him, he talked to, to her, like, like it, was, it was like that awkward moment where that one person finally breaks the barrier in a junior high dance and goes and dances with a girl. And everyone's like, it's so cool. That's, I, was gonna, I, I was gonna do that, but um, anyway, yeah, but I was, I was gonna dance with her. <clears throat> with her. Um, and now he is already, like there's this moment of connection. There's this moment of spark, right? They're like, oh my gosh. Almost as if there's something fundamentally true about woman that is also fundamentally true about Adam that is not fundamentally true about any other animal. To the degree Adam makes the exclamation, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. There's something about her that is also something about me that, that really connects. It makes sense. And then scripture says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is pre-fall, Garden of Eden, Everything's great. It's like San Diego before the city got there. The weather is perfect all the time. Um, there's, you know, only enough rain, you know, for it to be necessary. I don't know. We, we, that's not really true yet in the Bible. But anyway, you get the idea. It's this perfect Edenic environment where their needs are met both physically, emotionally, and relationally. And it's this beautiful thing with one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule, and we all know what happens. We all know what happens. So let's keep going, let's keep going. I hope your curiosity is getting sparked just a little bit. Let's see, we're gonna go into Genesis three now, and this is like the moment, right? Where like the villain shows up, and it's like, oh no, not the snake. All right, let's, let's read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Say the word arum with me. Say arum. That's Hebrew for naked. <laughs> I just made you say naked. Um, <clears throat> that's Hebrew for naked. The word more crafty, that word crafty in the original Hebrew, arum. Hmm. Now the serpent was more naked than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, now let's pause, lullaby effect just took place, walking, talking snake. And we all were like, yep, that's fine. <laughs> what? The fall hasn't happened yet. So we know the part of the serpent's curse is to crawl around on its stomach and eat dirt and all that kind of stuff, right? But right now we have a walking, talking snake and we're all just good with it. Yep, that makes sense. No, it, does, no, it doesn't, right? What is going on here? What is going on? Don't forget to ask questions of the Bible when you read it. It's important. 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, all my vacation Bible school kids in the room are like, and that's where she went wrong. She added to the commands of God. This is part of the, like the idea behind the story that we know and love. Yes, <clears throat> yes, true. Yep, she did. She said something God did not say. That's true. Um, but I think there's something else going on under the surface here that I had the chance to learn not too long ago. Amazing book called The Beast That Crouches at the Door, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel and Beyond by a gentleman named David Foreman. Um, it, is, uh, it is largely rooted in Jewish theology. So if you're gonna read it, just remember there's, you, you, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. There's some stuff like, no, we believe in a Trinitarian God. You know, that's important. Um, <clears throat> there's some things that you need to uh, absorb and some things you need to deflect. So anyway, I'm gonna borrow from this, from this book a bit and it's, it's very helpful for this understanding of the battle of the flesh versus the battle of the spirit. <clears throat> you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, remember these, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Enter all of the old tired marriage tropes. Um, and thus the fall of man. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right. That was a lot of Bible. Let's... Uh, Let's see if we can make a little, bit of, a little bit of sense out of this, okay? So we've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we've got the tree of life, okay? These two trees. Yes, eat from the tree of life. No, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? So then we have this, this enter the serpent who talks to Eve and says, um, did God really say blah, 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 blah? And Eve says, well, yeah, he did. And he also said, don't touch it. And that's where we think, okay, this is where she started to go sideways. She's adding to the commands of God. Now, I wanna... I wanna open our eyes to something just a little bit. The Hebrew in this original text does not have the serpent saying, did God really say, and then the rest of the statement. What it actually has the serpent saying is this. Even if God said, and then the sentence dies right there in the original language, it just stops. So you can see the translators must have been like, oh my gosh, God didn't finish his sentence. King James is gonna be furious. We need to go and figure out <laughs> what, you know, God just sort of trailed off. I don't know if he got distracted, um, but this sentence just trails off into nothing. Even if God said, dot, 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 is the original translation there. Interesting. Even if God said, and remember, we have this difference between Adam and Eve and the animals, something fundamentally true about Adam and Eve that's not fundamentally true about the animals. And I think we find it in this statement from the pre-fall serpent who says, even if God said, even if God said, you could hear with his mouth, dot, 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 
See, in every animal, in every living creature, there are drives and desires and passions. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm thirsty, I drink. If I'm tired, I sleep, on and on. There's these self-preservation drives. These are the things that keep us alive. They're good, they're good. When operated in restraint. If we keep on consuming, if we keep on eating, if we keep on drinking, if we keep on sleeping, if we keep on wanting, if we keep on desiring, if we keep on thirsting, if we keep on getting, if we keep on harvesting, if we keep on growing, if we keep on building, if we keep on, then we begin to see a world that's exhausted. These desires inside of us are good. They keep us alive. But God gave us the ability to say no. It is fundamental in God. He created for how many days? The Bible says six, right. Why? He could, he's, he's God. He could just keep on creating. He's God. He can do literally anything he wants. But fundamentally, in his story, he introduces us to himself as a God who knows when to say that's enough. He's a God who knows when to say that's enough. And so he places in the garden for us these two trees and wants to know if we have the ability to say, that's enough. Can we be in our restraint of our desires like God and say, that's enough, I'm good. I've had enough, thank you. That was a delicious glass of wine, but one is fine for me. Or whatever it might be. You see, when our animalistic drives and desires get out of control, we begin to do things like, oh, I don't know. Overtax our earth's natural resources. Fight too hard for our place in line in traffic. Treat one another like we're resources to consume instead of people to love and connect to. When these internal drives and desires get out of equilibrium with this other voice, things get a little bit out of kilter. The fundamental difference that I'm pointing at between animals and Adam and Eve is very simply this. Adam and Eve had an external voice. They had the commanded voice of God. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have the capacity to listen to that voice. Animals have the internal voice and the internal voice only. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm tired, I sleep. If I'm thirsty, I drink. These animalistic drives and desires are what push me and are what push animals and motivate them to, to stay alive. But God asked us to be different. He said, there are going to be drives and desires inside of you and I'm inviting you to say, no, that's enough. Stay alive, it's good to be alive. Eat when you're hungry, drink when you're thirsty, sleep when you're tired, but know when to say enough. I, 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 I would like to posit an idea to you. In the beginning, pre-fall, these voices were in proper equilibrium. The voice, the external commanded voice of God was plenty loud. In fact, prioritized over the internal voice that says, did God, even if God said this external voice, you could almost hear the serpent say, didn't he also say with this internal voice, go ahead? 
And our job is to say, I'm prioritizing the commanded voice. I'm prioritizing the commanded voice over my internal drives because God asks me to be a person who says, I'm, I'm good, that's enough, thank you. It's very, very simple. Eve gets things out of whack and she listens to this internal voice and she eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in this moment, we understand sin enters the world. And perhaps another idea to posit is these two voices, this external commanded voice of God and this internal drive, boom, our equilibrium shifts at the fall. And suddenly this internal animalistic drive and desire is so loud. And this external commanded voice of God we learn later on in scripture reveals itself as the still small voice. The command is the same. Listen to the external voice, obey the external voice. This internal drive um, done correctly, not inherently evil, but our capacity for restraint has shifted with the fall. And now we have this challenge where if I want, if I'm hungry, I eat and I, and I, and I keep eating and I, and I keep eating and I keep eating and I keep eating and I, I can't stop this internal thing that's compelling me. We have things like addiction that begin to wake up in our lives. And thus the battle between flesh and spirit begins. And the fundamental question is this, what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the animalistic drive and desire inside of you or are you listening to the beautiful commanded voice of God that is there for your protection and your provision? Not for your enslavement, but for your protection and your provision to make you healthy and whole and well and cared for. Let's look, go, let, let's look in 1 John chapter two and we can see that this becomes sort of the, the, the narrative arc of scripture in some ways. So we started here in the beginning, 1 John is near the end. Now remember that the book of 1 John is, is largely about how do we treat one another? Brethren, let us love one another for love is of God and anyone who loves God knows God. He who does not love does not know God. And the love of God is not, does not dwell in him for God is love. This is, that's in chapter four, but we're a little bit before that in chapter two where John is saying this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Let's pause there for just a second. Everything in the world John boils down to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Let's, let's test that just a little bit. We can go back to our story in Genesis chapter three, and Eve observes this piece of fruit. And she says what? Or she expresses what? She says, number one, it was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye. Number two, it was good for food, lust of the flesh. And number three, it would make her wise, the pride of life. John picks up the story 
and rewrites it again in his letter, in, in his first letter, in 1 John. He says, guys, it's the same old tale. This thing that inhibits us from loving one another well is the same old battle between spirit and flesh, between the internal voice and the external commanded voice that says, this is the way, just walk in it. It's all the same. It's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we'll build on this idea here in just a minute. But I want to I make one more point to you real quick. So in the, when, when, so Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are exiled from the Garden of Eden. And God does a couple interesting things. He puts a flaming sword um, to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And around the Tree of Life, he puts two specific kinds of angels. They're called cherubs. And we see like, you know, the baby angels that are like pudgy and rolly and in diapers. I really don't know where that image came from. Aaron probably does. Um, but I don't know. There's nowhere in scripture that says cherubs are pudgy. Like it just, you know, it just doesn't happen. Um, but they're a very specific kind of angel that seem to have a very specific task. They're guarding the tree of life. Fast forward with me to Proverbs chapter three says this, your word, your commands are to me a tree of life. This passage is read at the very beginning of every single Jewish synagogue. Your words to me are a tree of life. Interesting. Interesting. So we have the angels, these two cherubs guarding this word, this external command, this tree of life. The only other place in the books of Moses where cherubs show up, can you guess? Come on, it's so fun. The Ark of the Covenant. They're shrouding it with their wings. What's in the Ark? The law. Yeah, Torah, the commands. The commands that Moses came down the mountain with. When equilibrium shifted, this external voice became precious. Perhaps not as loud as we would like it to be. Sometimes I would love, just, just tell me what to do, please. He says, I did. Read it. I did. Go ahead and read it. This external voice, this command of God becomes this precious, precious thing that should be guarded, that should be protected, that we should know, that we should treasure, that we should cherish. We can keep going through the, through the narrative of scripture and we can see this internal voice, external voice, spirit versus flesh. We can see it all over the place. We can just grab like a few, we, we could spend the rest of the day going through the Bible and grabbing examples out of scripture where we see this happening. I'll just, we'll just do a couple. The very next story, Cain and Abel. You have Abel who makes an offering of animals, Abel, uh, Cain who makes an offering of crops and uh, uh, God accepts Abel's offering but not Cain's. That's, that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, but uh, really worth exploring that idea. Um, God, a, a, Cain gets jealous. He gets upset. He says, why didn't you accept my offering? And God says, hey, 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 whoa. If you do well, won't you be accepted? It's okay. It's okay. You can almost hear the Lord saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If you listen to the right voice, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's Okay. Not a good enough answer for Cain. He's furious and he goes and he kills his brother, Abel. We know this story, right? We can keep going. Samson and Delilah. You have this amazing, strong, mighty man of God. 
who when listening to the correct voice does incredible things on behalf of God and then the wrong voice comes creeping in. And think about the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's the same old story. Samson wants this particular person to be his partner because she's just better than all the ones God talked about. What voice are you listening to? And we know the story of Samson. It ends in disaster. And then eventually, finally, in this cruciform, self-sacrificing way, he makes good on God's promise in his life to be a deliverer for Israel. But not before he begins to listen to the right voice again. David and Bathsheba. At the time when kings were out at war, David was on his balcony. Hmm. Hmm. I think we've already started bad, Dave. Um, maybe you should be out with your troops. And he sees Bathsheba. She takes, she'd be taking a bath. I, I'm sorry. I just literally heard someone in the front row go, no. <laughs> um, he sees Bathsheba and he, and he, and he longs for her. He, he's, he's like, yep, I need to have that person as a wife, right? He listens to the wrong voice. And where does the wrong voice lead him? It leads him into adultery. It leads him into murder. It leads him into lying and falsehood. It leads him into shame. What voice are you listening to? This voice that says, I gotta have more. Me, mine or this external commanded voice that says, no, I've made you to be someone who knows when to say, I'm, I'm okay, thank you, I've had enough. I don't need to be first in line, you can go right ahead. This precious commanded voice, this gift from God that helps us know how and where and why to walk. We can't talk about this idea without reading some Paul. He's got like the seminal passage of scripture on this battle between flesh and spirit. Also, one of the most relatable passages of scripture in the entire Bible, if you ask me. This, you might not agree, and if you don't, welcome to a little window into my world. So we're gonna go to Romans chapter seven. We'll start up in verse 14. Paul says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Bro, same. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. It's this, this thing, this, this drive, this desire, this other voice. For I know that good itself... <laughs> does not dwell in me. It's an external voice. That, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. I, I get this. Like on a fundamental level, I'm like, yes, thank you. Somebody else has struggled with this too. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, if I, so I find this law at work. As if he hasn't beaten this point to death enough, Paul is gonna go ahead and keep on just pounding this home. 
Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's just this constant voice. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Paul, I get it. Thank you for writing this so I know that a hero of my faith walked some of the same steps that I walk where I get so frustrated with myself. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You see this dichotomy, the thing that I wanna do, I, I don't do, and the thing I don't wanna do, I, I, I do do. What voice are you listening to? Is it the internal animalistic drive? Or is it the external commanded voice of God? This sermon series is called In Christ, so we better talk about him for a minute. Let's look at Matthew 4. And Jesus gives us the most amazing example of how to walk this whole thing out. It's so beautiful. We're with Jesus in his temptation in the desert. Remember, he goes away and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And in this mind-blowing passage, it says Jesus was hungry. Wow. Um, And then the enemy comes to tempt him. The enemy is a master of timing. He's a master of timing. Be aware of when you're weak in your flesh. Because the enemy will often show up and go, I know how we can fix all this. So, that, so our model, Jesus, our savior, shows us exactly how to walk this out. Matthew 4, verses one through 11. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Thanks, spirit. Um, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Let's remember a little bit of our story here. We had in the Garden of Eden and we had in 1 John, these two things, the lust of the eye, or these three things, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. They're a little out of order here, but here we have, tell these stones to become bread if you're hungry. We have the lust of the flesh. Satisfy your flesh, right? Jesus, look how Jesus answers him. It is written, ah, ah, That's how you do this whole thing. That's how you do this flesh versus spirit, this internal voice, external voice. When the enemy shows up and says, hey, why don't you do this? You say, it is written. That's right, come on. Not I am driven, it is written. My God says, man shall not live on bread and bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By the way, this is Deuteronomy. All of it is. So then the enemy goes, oh, we're gonna do scripture. Fine, I'll do that. I got excited there and I hit an accidental click button on my clicker here, so I gotta go back. <sighs> the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Um, and he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus, knowing his Bible said, no, 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 no. You do not use God's words back at him. That's not how this works. This voice commands me. I don't command it. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Pride of life. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's the same story told over and over and over. And here Jesus says is the antidote. It is written. The external voice says, this is how I am to live. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, it is written, it is written. What are the antidotes to the age-old temptations of, of the enemy, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the same things that tripped up Eve and the same things that trip up you and me today? What is the antidote? It is written. It is in the commanded voice. It is in the word of God. So when I say, what voice are you listening to? There's a question underneath that question. Do you know what the voice you should be listening to sounds like? You gotta know. If we're gonna do this well, if we're gonna counter the temptation of the enemy, if we're gonna live in the spirit and not in the flesh well, you gotta know what God's voice sounds like. So how do you do that? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. They know my voice. They know my voice. Do you spend time getting to know the voice of God? Do you spend time in his word? Do you know it well enough that when the enemy who knows his word better than you do uses it as an attack against you, you can counter it and say, no, 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 no. I don't command the voice. I don't command God. God commands me. This is how this works. Don't you dare invert that. Do you spend enough time with God that you know what the sound of the still small voice is like? You have to. You have to. If you want any hope in this battle between flesh and spirit, you have to know what the better voice sounds like. Do you know? Do you know? Dive into the word of God. It's so beautiful. It's a tree of life. It's health. It's peace. It's truth. Do you know what the voice of God sounds like. It's written. It's written. And you can, you can eat and drink from it every day. You just have to get out your phone. All you gotta do, like, just do it now. If you don't have the Bible app on your phone, there's like 7,000 of them. version's really good. Just throw it on your phone. You can read this thing every, you take your phone everywhere you go. Get in the word of God. Listen to his voice. Know his voice. Understand his voice. Fall in love 
with his voice. And this battle between the flesh and the spirit will become incredibly simple. What voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the animalistic drive? Or are you listening to the beauty of the commanded voice of God? We're gonna move now toward communion. This reminder of our savior who showed us how to do all of this. Who showed us this sacrificial giving of ourselves. Who showed us how incredibly important it is to obey the external voice rather than the internal one. When we take the bread and the juice today, don't let the garden of Gethsemane be lost on you. This is the moment where Jesus wept and he cried out to God and he said, God, if it is your will, take this cup from me. This cry for self-preservation was in our savior too. He knew what was coming and he was so overcome with stress and so overcome with, with the weight of what he was about to walk through that he sweat drops of blood. And then he said, not my will, but yours be done. Not this internal drive, but your commanded voice. That's what I'll obey, even to death, even a death on the cross. Communion is a reminder of this incredible sacrifice that was made on our behalf, to be sure. Today, could it also please be a reminder of our living model, Jesus, who shows us how to walk in the spirit and not the flesh, who shows us how to put this internal voice, this lying voice to death and to obey the external command of God, who helps us answer the question, what voice am I gonna listen to? Hey, if you're with our, uh, joining us online this morning, first, thank you for being here. Um, please go ahead and take a minute to go and get uh, your communion elements and we'll take communion together. At Southeast, we have what is called an open table. If you're willing to celebrate the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with us, we, are, we invite you, you're welcome to take communion with us together. We're gonna take a moment for reflection and then we'll take communion together when we're done. I would love for you to reflect simply on this question. Do I know what the voice of God sounds like. Go ahead. Friends, I'll need you to forgive me. Um, I, uh, I'm a little under the weather today and I forgot about the implications. If you've been coming to Southeast for any length of time, you know no sermon is a sermon without implications, right? 
So here are some thoughts that I would love for you to carry with you today as you go about your day and your week thinking about this internal voice, external voice. What voice am I listening to? First, number one, in order to recognize God's voice, I need to familiarize myself with it by reading his word. Super simple. The second implication is that Jesus gives me a model for the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It is written, not I kind of feel. Feelings are important, they're valid. Let's not invalidate those. But these internal drives that say more, 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 mm -mm, they need to be countered by it is written. Third implication says this, when I act in my flesh, it is not because I'm inherently evil. This voice, this internal drive existed long before the fall. It's a self-preservation mechanism. You are not your sin. Your story does not begin in Genesis three after the fall. It begins in Genesis one, where God made a good world, where a good God made a good world full of good creation and put you another good creation in it, full of potential to do incredible good when you listen to the right voice. When I act in my flesh, it's not because I'm inherently evil. It is because I'm listening to the wrong voice. Yep. Here's the good news, you get another chance. Listen to the right voice this time. And you're gonna probably mess up again. You will, you will. And in God's mercy, you get another chance. Listen to the right voice now. And then listen again, and then listen again, and then listen again. A loving God will lead you into his goodness. Finally, the last implication, what voice am I listening to? Which one matters most in my life? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and eat together. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. As often as you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Jesus, this morning, communion has a whole different meaning to it, Lord. As we eat this bread and we drink this juice, we remember the way you listened to your father's voice and the way you obeyed your father's voice. Thank you for that model. And Lord, would you help us to walk in your steps? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.